Chapter Three of the Girls of Gardenville by Carol Watson Rankin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: An Untransferable Gift. One. Elizabeth, who lived just across the street from the Margraves, was also one of the Sweet Sixteen. Elizabeth herself was not remarkable for anything, unless it might be butterscotch, which happened to be her specialty. But her mother, Mrs. Dillman, was considered the most unselfish person in Gardenville. Unselfishness is, of course, a beautiful trait, but since even a virtue may be carried to excess, there were times when Mrs. Dillman's family wished her less generous. Indeed, in spite of kind Mrs. Dillman's genuine goodness and lovableness, there were moments when her family admitted that she was exasperating. Did she have a blossoming plant? Off it went to some sick neighbor. Did she buy herself material for a new gown one day? The next would find her cutting it up for her daughters, or giving it away bodily to her less prosperous sister-in-law. Although Mrs. Dillman herself was not any too well provided with this world's goods, did affectionate relatives heap embroidered linen upon her at Christmas time? Hardly a doily did she possess by midsummer. Indeed, at any time the Dillmans could have moved with less difficulty than any other family in Gardenville, because over-generous Mrs. Dillman kept their possessions so depleted that there wasn't much left to move. Of course, complained sixteen-year-old Elizabeth one day in March, there isn't a scrap of satisfaction in giving Mother a birthday present, but I must be thinking about it if I'm to make her anything this year. So must I, said Elizabeth's sister Kitty with a deep sigh, but what's the use? Probably some utterly undeserving pauper, is wearing the apron I made her last time this very minute. I haven't a doubt of it, returned Elizabeth feelingly. Aside from the needlebook I made her when I was six, she hasn't kept anything I ever gave her for longer than a fortnight. The worst of it is that one can't possibly feel offended, for she explains it all so sweetly afterwards that one feels just like presenting the dear lady with something else to give away. That's mother all over, corroborated Kitty. "'Well,' declared Elizabeth, "'I do wish, just for once, that I could think of something to give her "'that she couldn't possibly bestow on anyone else.' "'So do I,' confided Mr. Dillman, unexpectedly looking up from his paper. "'I supposed I had accomplished it when I gave her that new ice-cream freezer last summer, "'but it seems I was mistaken.' "'You certainly were,' laughed Elizabeth. "'She discovered inside of a month that one was needed at the children's home in Sawbridge, and away went ours. The Dillmans lived in a rented house, and their landlord was not an ideal one when it came to making repairs. As long as his houses presented a fairly respectable exterior, they were good enough, in Mr. Blake's opinion, for anybody. If the tenants desired new plumbing, fresh paint, or new wallpaper, they were at liberty to provide them at their own expense. Once, however, he departed from this rule, and that departure is what this story is about. The paper in Mrs. Dillman's room had been dark and ugly to start with, and time had not improved it. Mr. Blake had declined to replace it with more suitable paper, and Mrs. Dillman was the very last woman to spend money for her own comfort or convenience, as long as there was anyone else in the world to be made happy or comfortable. So in spite of its hideousness, the ugly paper remained. "'It's a burning shame,' said Elizabeth one morning, as she was helping her mother with the mending, "'that you have to have such a distressingly ugly room when you're so perfectly dear to everybody else. 
I just wish Mr. Blake had to gaze upon these abominable purple triangles for about two hours every morning. They look just like the coat of arms of Nicaragua. How can you see them without counting them? I can't, sighed Mrs. Dillman. There are just 366 of them on the ceiling. One for every day in the year, and leap year at that, returned Elizabeth sympathetically. Don't get me a new jacket this spring, mother. The old one is quite good enough for rainy days, and I'm sure this is going to be a rainy spring. Couldn't you get this room papered for the price of a new jacket? I think so, replied Mrs. Dillman, a little sheepishly. But I've already given your old jacket away. At that moment Elizabeth missed her thimble. She was feeling in her apron pocket for it when her exploring fingers came in contact with a small coin. With a touch came inspiration. The girl dropped her sewing and flew to her own room, where she began a diligent search for hidden treasure. Under the handkerchiefs in her box she found a quarter. The match safe yielded two sulfurous pennies. A collar button box was found to contain a five-cent piece, while the vigorous shaking of an old tin bank brought to light a tenderly cherished Canadian penny of heroic size. Next, Elizabeth got down on hands and knees, crawled under the bed, and finally emerged dusty, triumphant, and the richer by a dime. "'Quite an encouraging little nest egg,' said smiling Elizabeth, dropping all the coins into a little Japanese tea-caddy, which she prudently concealed behind the books on the hanging shelf. Then, still wearing an expression of deep satisfaction, she returned to her mending. About two months later, and just a week before her birthday, Mrs. Dillman learned that her sister-in-law, living in a neighboring town, was ill and in need of careful nursing. Of course, being Mrs. Dillman, she dropped everything else and went immediately to the rescue, leaving her two young daughters in charge of the house and what was left of the spring house-cleaning. "'How providential,' said Elizabeth, since Aunt Mary had to be ill at all, that she happened to select this particular time.' "'Yes, wasn't it?' agreed Kitty." Before the train was fairly out of the station, Elizabeth, with the accumulated savings of two months in her bulging purse, was inspecting with a critical eye the Gardenville paper-hanger's stock. "'It must be blue,' explained Elizabeth, "'because Mother likes blue. Besides, Kitty, it must match the pincushion you're making.' "'I suppose it must,' returned Kitty soberly. Of course, before the week is out, the dear woman will happen upon somebody with a craving that only a blue-ruffled pincushion will satisfy, but we might as well have things matched to begin with. After much deliberation, the girls decided upon a creamy paper adorned with a graceful pattern of blue nasturtiums for the walls and a plain paper for the ceiling. It's pretty if it is cheap, said happy Elizabeth, and nobody can possibly discover anything about it to count. "'I don't think I ever saw any blue nasturtiums,' said Kitty, a little doubtfully. "'But lots of things that you never see in gardens seem to grow pretty well on wallpaper, and it is a lovely pattern.' "'Can you,' said Elizabeth, turning to the shopkeeper, "'hang this paper for me the very first thing tomorrow morning?' "'Bless you, no, Miss Elizabeth,' was the man's reply. "'Every man I have is engaged every minute for the next three weeks.' Seems as if every house in town needs papering this spring. But I must have it done at once, pleaded dismayed Elizabeth. Mother may come home at any minute, and I want her to find it finished. Couldn't you possibly manage it? 
Not this week, said the man regretfully. This is our busiest time. If it's a small room, maybe you could do it yourself. Why, cried Elizabeth, I never thought of that. I used to paper my doll houses easily enough. I'll try it if Father can't suggest some better plan. We'll tell him all about it when he comes home to dinner tonight, Kitty. Yes, agreed Kitty. I think that'll be the best thing to do. Two. Mr. Dillman, however, was unexpectedly called out of town by business that day, and Elizabeth was forced to depend on her own somewhat limited resources. Fortunately, she was not hampered by any doubts of her paper-hanging ability, or Mrs. Dillman might not have been gladdened on her birthday by blue nasturtiums. Early the next morning, the amateur paper-hanger stripped the room of all its contents, except the floor matting, over which she spread a thick blanket of newspapers. Next, she went to the kitchen, where, with more zeal than discretion, she made a huge pail of flour paste. It was thick at the bottom, thin at the top, and exceedingly lumpy in the middle. But inexperienced Elizabeth was thoroughly satisfied with it. Then, when she had dragged the rickety stepladder up the winding back stairs, she was ready for work. "'I'm willing to help,' said Kitty, tying herself into a big gingham apron. "'But you'll have to tell me what to do, because I haven't a single idea.' "'I've only about one and a half myself,' confessed the older girl. "'Some way this room looks bigger than it did yesterday.' "'Where are you going to begin?' queried Katie. "'I'll do the ceiling first. "'Of course the floor and the ceiling are the same size, "'so it'll be easy enough to measure the paper. "'You hold one end of it.' There, said Elizabeth, snipping off a large piece. I think that'll be about the right length, don't you, Kitty? Now turn it over. Mercy how it curls up. You stand on the end of it, and I'll spread the paste with this old whisk broom. It's rather stiff, I'm afraid, and its whiskers are all coming out. But it's the best I can do. Wait, commanded Kitty. I'll bring the broom. You can kind of sweep it on with that. That is better. My, did you ever see anything easier? Just think of all the money I'm saving. I wonder if folks don't always do their own papering. Oh, it seems to be sticking to the floor. Cut it in two, suggested Kitty. Then you can handle it better. I believe you're right, returned Elizabeth, promptly following her sister's suggestion. There, hand me the broom and I'll lift it up with that. No, said Kitty. You go up on the ladder with it, and I'll stand on a chair and push with the broom. Elizabeth poked the paper into the corner of the ceiling and began to smooth it out with her hands. It's dreadfully wet, said she. I think I've been too generous with the paste. I know you have, responded Kitty. It's soaking through and dripping off the edges. Dear me, said Elizabeth, giving a final poke. It's ever so far away from the wall at this end. What shall I do? "'Put in a wedge-shaped patch,' offered Kitty. "'It won't matter if it's a little on the bias.' "'I shan't use so much paste this time,' said Elizabeth, "'lying out a second strip, spreading the paste, "'and then carrying her damp burden up the step-ladder. "'There, that goes better. "'No, it doesn't either. "'Why, it doesn't seem to stick at all. "'Look out! It's coming down at that end.' "'Take it away quick,' cried Kitty, "'as the long breadth of sticky paper "'wrapped itself about her head and shoulders.' Ugh, it's the wettest stuff I ever felt. There's paste all over me. Three somewhat grimy strips of ceiling paper were in place by noon, 
and Elizabeth declared that she knew that both of her arms had slipped out of their sockets. The paper, at least, was so firmly attached to the ceiling that even unselfish Mrs. Dillman would have found it impossible to give it away. But the girls were not entirely satisfied. "'It seems so uneven,' complained Elizabeth, returning after a hasty luncheon to survey her work. "'There are little bumps like ant hills all around under it, and there's a great deal too much paste on top.' "'Perhaps it'll look better when it dries,' consoled Kitty. "'If it ever does,' returned Elizabeth doubtfully, "'I think I'll work at the sidewall for a change. "'I'm tired of reaching up.' "'The sidewall strip went into place almost without a wrinkle. "'There!' cried Elizabeth, waving the shears in her enthusiasm. "'Didn't I do that beautifully?' "'Yes,' admitted Kitty, "'but it's upside down.' "'Dear me!' lamented Elizabeth. "'I might have known that it was too good to be true. "'But this is the corner the bureau goes in. "'Perhaps the upside-downedness won't show so much when the furniture is in.' Kitty forgot to trim the edges of the second breadth. Elizabeth neglected to measure it, and it never occurred to either of the girls to attempt to match the pattern. It was hard, discouraging work, and by three o'clock both girls were even bluer than the nasturtiums. A good share of the paste that Elizabeth had so gleefully made in the morning was distributed impartially over the two tired, discouraged girls and the floor. The newspaper blanket had been frequently displaced, and there was not a little paste on the matting. Bits of paper adhered to the woodwork, and the purple triangles in the old ceiling had run dismally and were soaking through the new. Elizabeth, pale and dejected, was regarding the azure nasturtiums with an expression of deep disgust and Katie was scraping paste from the soles of her shoes and wondering how any sane man could bring himself to the point of selecting paper-hanging as a vocation when the room was suddenly darkened. The startled girls looked up. There, peering in at them from behind the rungs of a tall ladder, was the unprepossessing countenance of Mr. Blake the landlord. "'Is this a papering bee?' he asked, as unconcernedly as if he were in the habit of visiting his tenants regularly by means of a ladder." "'Oh!' gasped the two girls, eyeing each other guiltily. "'I'm not a burglar,' explained Mr. Blake. "'I'm just on my way up to take another look at those loose bricks in your chimney. "'What do you girls think you're doing, anyway? "'Looks to me as if you've undertaken more than you can manage.' "'I'd like to see you do it any better,' answered Elizabeth shortly. "'Elizabeth tired was Elizabeth cross, and cross persons are not always polite.' "'Well,' said Mr. Blake, unexpectedly swinging himself in at the open window, "'I'm willing to try for the sake of the house.' "'It's it's a fearful undertaking,' warned Elizabeth. "'It looks it,' agreed Mr. Blake, with a comprehensive glance around the room. "'And it's been fearfully and wonderfully undertaken. Where's your paste?' "'What? Call that stuff paste? Here, roll that chest of drawers in here and bring me a board to stand on.' While I go down to the kitchen to make paste, that is paste. One of you'd better run to Brown's for two more rolls of paper. This'll have to come off. Looks like you'd papered the underside of a corrugated iron roof or covered a bed of cobbled stones. Here, you biggest girl, find me a whisk broom, and when you've done that, pull off what paper you can. Yes, new and old, too. He won't be so enthusiastic an hour from now, whispered Elizabeth. No, returned Kitty, the poor man doesn't know what's in store for him. 
Katie went to Brown's for more paper, and Elizabeth peeled off as many of the blue nasturtiums as she could. Now, said Mr. Blake, coming in fifteen minutes later with a pail of smooth, steaming paste that bore no resemblance to the article that Elizabeth had so proudly made that morning, I don't think I need any further assistance. You see, he explained with a twinkle in his eye, I'm particular about the quality of my help. Anyway, you'd better go and rest for a while. You'll need all your muscle when you get to cleaning up this room. It looks as if you'd had a pretty lively shower of paste around here. Half an hour later, Elizabeth looked in, expecting to find the amateur paper hanger thoroughly sick of his bargain. To her surprise, one end of the room was abloom with nasturtiums. The seams were beautifully matched, and strangest of all, there was no paste on the man himself. Elizabeth, with a deep sigh of relief, stole silently away. She was unwilling to disturb him for fear he might stop. "'If you'll give me a bite of supper,' said Mr. Blake, climbing down the ladder and appearing at the kitchen door at six o'clock, "'I'll stay to finish the ceiling and put up the border for you.' "'How nice your work looks,' said Kitty, peeping in, after Mr. Blake had been refreshed with tea. "'Did it take you many days to learn?' "'Days!' exclaimed Mr. Blake. "'Why, child, it took years. "'I'm a paper-hanger by trade, but I left the business before I came to this town.' No, he added as the girls proceeded to thank him, you needn't waste your breath. I'm glad to help your mother to something that she can't give away. She's been good to Mrs. Blake more than once. It was ten o'clock before the room was finished. The girls did not attempt to put it in order that night. The next morning they found, as Mr. Blake had predicted, that the process of cleaning the floor and the woodwork required time and muscle but the room was as dainty as Elizabeth's own when the girls finally left it. "'I've learned two things,' said Elizabeth thoughtfully. "'One is that paper-hanging isn't as easy as it looks, and the other is that disobliging landlords sometimes have redeeming qualities. I know that Mother will like her ungiveawayable present. Kitty, don't you dare to take this room if she tries to give it to you.' "'Indeed I won't,' promised Kitty, "'but she'll be sure to offer it.' I only wish, said sympathetic Elizabeth, that we might find some way to persuade her to keep your beautiful pincushion. You needn't worry a bit about that pincushion, declared Kitty emphatically, for I've taken the precaution of nailing it to the bureau. End of chapter 3